This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone. I'm joined by Zach Blostein, Chris Nee. It's been a minute since all three of us have been together on this bench. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Doing well. I feel old. Why do, you, why do you feel old, Chris? My knees have been killing me recently, more so than normal. I mean, my knees always hurt, but like, I don't know what it is. I didn't do anything. I haven't overexerted myself. They just hurt like hell lately. Chris knees. Maybe it's because you haven't over. Maybe you haven't done anything. They need to get moved around. They're a little like rickety. Arthritis is a hell of a thing. Zach, how are your knees? Uh, one of them is reconstructed. Hmm, that's interesting. Same here. All right, let's get into the show. Uh, an RIP to all of our knees, which are well beyond the years that they should be. Uh, first off, I want to give a shout out to. Our sponsored Chattanooga Whiskey, uh, the plan is for them to re-up for this upcoming year. Paperwork should be done fairly soon, knock on wood. I know it's probably in poor taste and bad luck to, to go ahead and do that beforehand uh, before it's finalized, but that's the plan, and we're super excited to have them on with us for another year. want to give a shout-out to you guys on the Knowles 24-7 message board who gave some awesome uh, recommendations of their experience learning about Chattanooga Whiskey through the podcast. So a uh, thank you to you for your patronage and uh, for, for taking a chance on a, a really high-end uh, Really high-end whiskey product. So thank you, Chattanooga Whiskey. Really happy to have you for another year. And also, we're brought to you by... The Turner Group. The Turner Group. Zach, you uh, you got a chance to set up uh, a home that your parents purchased through the Turner Group this weekend. Yeah. Awesome experience. Great people to work with. They're experts in their field. And uh, we appreciate their support. So I want to get into a handful of things today, some recruiting, some more team stuff, and then we'll play some buyer Sinone at the end. Uh, but let's talk about it because we projected this to happen. We talked about Zach's crystal ball, but now it's actually happened. That's at FSU landed a commitment from Amari Williams, top 200 prospect from the Benjamin School, home of Jordan Travis, listed as an athlete. He's a tight end, defensive end in high school. Uh, Chris, this dude is a defensive end, correct? And, and if so, like, how do you project him out uh, moving forward? Yeah, in high school, he played tight end as well. But in college, he's going to be an edge for FSU. That's what they recruited him as. That's what he came in here and met with them as. That's what I expect him to be. What up, Zach? I was just going to say, I heard over the weekend that he's, during his entire career, he's going to play far more edge at FSU. But early on, I was told he could actually get some offensive snaps because he wants to see the field early, and he'll probably have a better shot just physically doing that at tight end. Um, then, you know, because he's going to have to bulk up a lot to play edge, uh, you know, at the P4 level. I think, you know, at least I've been told that, that there's a chance that he could see some offensive snaps early. He is adamant that he's an athlete. I mean, when they announced, I believe, Dad, Mo Williams, great player at Kentucky, also pro himself. I believe it was like number one athlete in the country or something like that. You could hear him in the background saying yeah. that and that's been something with Amari throughout now when he was ranked as a 25 prospect he was a number one athlete in our rankings when he got moved into 24 whenever you move a guy up a class they usually they diminish their ranking to some degree he's ranked as the number six athlete in that class um I the most interesting thing to me with Amari talent's plenty there I think he's a couple years away as a defensive end type you know sort of the Patrick Payton timeline 
if you wanted to compare him to somebody in the sense of what I think it would take for him to bulk up, become a guy yeah. that can be the guy and stuff like that. The interesting thing to me is reclassification. Reclassification has brought about a lot of mixed results with kids, and I'm not talking from an FSU perspective. I'm talking from a national perspective. I am interested how Amari handles that. I think, you know, Donnell Harris is a kid in recent years comes to mind was a reclass. He, I don't think, to my knowledge, he's done a whole lot in the college game. It's it's an interesting uh, exercise. I mean, there's been kids that have found success as reclassifications, and we certainly see kids moving up six months, but this is a 12-month jump, basically. So it'll be interesting to me how that impacts him, if it does impact him, yeah. if he's fine with handling it. But talent-wise, yeah, I think he's a good player that they got who's going to be a little bit on layaway for them and probably somebody they hope can do a good bit for them, say, in 25, late 25, maybe into 26. I think – so with the evaluation process when it comes to a reclassification, to your point, Chris, it's – there's small data points. It's not like this isn't a super robust like sample size at all. Look, I'm checking all the boxes right now for, for our verbal crutches. I got data points. I got robust. I got check the boxes. Uh, but there's not a ton of that stuff right now, like for guys who've reclassified nationally. I think it's going to become more and more prominent. Uh, but the examples generally of that small sample size we have aren't fantastic. So it explains like why he – he fell in the rankings a little bit when he was reclassified back in, in December. But still, ultimately, it's a top 200 prospect that you're getting with, with a ton of upside. Like the, the ball skills, the coordination are really good, and it shows up on both sides of the ball. Like he has multiple Bendy. pick. He has, he has got some bend. He's got some explosive quick area stuff. Not like a long speed type of guy, which makes me wonder what like the tight end uh, plus like kind of jumbo wide receiver skill set is for him long term. That's why I think defensive end makes the most sense. But for sure, like we heard like throughout the recruiting process is a guy who wants to play both sides of the ball. I think there's some aspirations of like what that would mean from like a marketing standpoint for him to have the skills to be able to do both. We'll see. Um, I, I do want to present this question to you guys, though. Like he he is for a variety of reasons. Uh, Amari is has a ton of upside. There's a lot of physical tools there, but there are a lot of unknowns. Uh, I kind of dove into that with some of the scouting report stuff I did. Uh, yesterday over at Knowles 24-7. Unknowns, I mean like level of competition, smaller. The reclass variable, age, okay? Not having a home, like a specific position that he's mastered and, and played his entire life. Like those are things that would on paper present a fairly like lengthy project, right? That would take a little bit of time. In this era of football, NIL era, transfer portal, being able to move over and over again, like, is that a is that an inherent risk that you want to take over and over? It's like this long long term project type of guy. How do we see that change? I guess in, in the upcoming years, approach wise. Yeah, I mean, ideally, you'd want to get a guy that you know is going to pan out, but that's just so few and far between in the high school ranks. In my opinion, you need to land a few of these types every year because we've seen the options in the portal that show up at the edge position, you know, they're all pretty solid players at the top, you know, then occasionally you're going to get a Jermaine Johnson or a Jared Verse type. That's not every year. And I think the long-term projection of a kid like Amari Williams is high and it's worth dipping into the high school ranks for a few of those types every year, in my opinion, because those are the ones that pan out to be, the top edge rushers in the country. Whereas, you know, you, that second tier is kind of where you get into the you know, guys that are entering the portal to find better spots. Like I think that's where FSU's kind of been living over the past few cycles. They, they need, you know, they landed Pat Payton in 2021 and we've seen how that's turned out. Like he, he's, you know, ACC defensive rookie of the year follows that up with another really solid season and should, you know, project to even have a you know, better year. In 2024. So, like, I like those those types of takes. I think FSU's kind of been missing that. They've been, in my opinion, uh, over the past few cycles, recruiting defensive ends out of the high school ranks that that are, you know, maybe close to tapped out of their potential. Um, maybe that's because of length and, you know, how, how guys are filled out. Like, I think Amari Williams, we all agree, can put, out, put on 20, 25, 30 pounds, uh, you know, once he gets to the next level and probably be a a pretty solid pass rusher in a few years. I yeah, I'm I'm a fan of, of this route. I think it's the way to go when you're trying to build the you know the trenches. If you're not landing the top top 
guys in the high school ranks um, every cycle. Yeah, I, I like to take an addition to D.D. Holmes, who may be an inside guy long term, but now for now is a long body, big edge. Uh, I think they did a good job with both of them. I think the idea really should be like, you know, most big body positions take a lot. Don't be shy of taking extra numbers. Yeah. The bigger the body, the tougher it is to project how they're going to develop, the tougher to project how quickly they're going to develop or if they're going to develop at all. And this day and age with the transfer portal and everything that comes with that too, there, there's a level of like, you got to know if a kid's going to have any patience. You know, Murray Williams is a kid who I don't think will do a whole lot in the first 24 months of his collegiate career, which used to be normal. It used to be almost like, that's expected. We're waiting for the redshirt junior year. That's when they're going to break out. That's no longer really what anybody's willing to wait for because patience has gone away from the system. So I think taking more in numbers to kind of protect yourself in case you have someone who grows impatient or just doesn't work makes more sense. So, yeah, I hope it continues to trend in this direction with the high school recruiting of it. You can always go get a portal kid and, you know, it's it's made a strongest survive type thing. I. I, I don't get obsessed with they need to have a ton of high school versus they need to have a ton of portal. They need to have 85 guys they can go win football games with, and they need to have talent and depth at positions. And whatever the means or manners to get there is, go ahead and do it. But I think it's solid, and to Zach's point, to protect yourself by getting good high school kids that you can develop so you don't have to then have the crutch of having to get the portal guy down the road, which has happened to FSU to some degree in recent years. This is why I wish we were privy to – getting access to to numbers that players sign for and, and what they will sign for, uh, assuming that he does sign with Florida State on Wednesday um, and, and what his ultimate NIL deal will be. And this is for every team nationally. It's like if, if you're spending oh, – go ahead, Zach. I was to say he's already signed. Yeah. I reported that he signed. Oh, did you, I didn't know that was actually reported. I didn't want yeah. to step on Yeah, I want to make note of that because Florida State did gamble by taking Amari Williams uh, or having him OV that final weekend in December because – you know, if you if you don't get him to to sign in that window, you're not getting him because he's about to take a you know multiple other OBs. Well, they did it; they accomplished that. So that's a kudos to the staff for getting that done. And you know, I was I was before I was aware. Um, I think I was made aware earlier in like very early January that he January eighth ish, I think. Yeah, so I was aware that that he had signed at that point, and you know, obviously. It was a chilly Sunday morning. I remember it vividly. I was driving to yoga class. Yes. I think I was in uh, Tennessee at that point on a vacation with my girlfriend's family. But the, yeah, it, it was tough because we couldn't really say anything because it was up to Amari to announce it. Um, you know, I didn't want to ruin his moment. Um, so, you know, as soon as we figured that out, I was not, you know, as critical of the move because I thought, you know, obviously on paper, they didn't announce Amari Williams had signed in December. So it looked like, he had not signed. He had told me, I think the day before that he was signing in February. So, and, and that was kind of the pivot, or at least it may not have been but like it was timeline wise with, with Armando the Armando Blunt, Blunt yeah. Uh, saga. Yeah. So, so um, initially did not look good, but kudos to the staff for getting that done. Just wanted to point that out. He has, you know, he did officially sign during that window. FSU has yet to announce it, but um, I expect that to happen probably, you know, around this, this signing day coming up on Wednesday. Amari dropped a few clues with all that, too, because no coaches were showing up at his plays, at his school. He didn't go anywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. We were wondering how long it would be secret for, and it didn't actually state it until he kind of wanted to. But, like, yeah. there was someone who to figure out, like, hey, this student isn't hosting visits from other coaches that he's allowed Yeah, you're not to. seeing him hug Kirby Smart and her, <laughs> hug Dabo Swinney and everybody else under the sun. Uh, but, but my larger point being, okay, so, so when he enrolls at Florida State and you can actually get into then NIL – uh, compensation, like how much are you paying? Because like that, that to me is like how much of a percentage of your, your budget are you allocating towards this player? Because to Chris's point, you're talking about a 24 month period as the most probable path to when he could contribute. Uh, and let's say that's, it falls into plan. He's patient. And like towards the end of, of 2024 season or 2025 season, he ends up contributing. Well, then I think all that really affords you is the right of first negotiation again um and so you're paying potentially like that's why we need to know uh or not need to know why it would be helpful to know like what what these different players are signing for all across the country because that would help add a lot of context to what's a value add and and maybe what's more of like a you're investing resources into the chance to develop and then to get the right of 
of first refusal later on. So uh, it's just it's a fascinating wrinkle that was we're kind of like trekking through uh, these waters, uh, trying to figure out what what's a great addition, what's a good one. Uh, this seems to be like a really solid ad though because of the upside and, and the potential. Um, and, and FSU has done a really nice job developing defensive ends, both from high school ranks and transfer portals. So uh, a win for Florida State without a doubt. Uh, Zach mentioned signing day. That is on Wednesday, uh, tomorrow. As we're recording this on Tuesday. really doesn't have the same uh, oomph that it used to have. Most of that happens in December. And then obviously it's the transfer portal that takes up a bunch of spots. So just a totally different vibe. But I want to go to our our elder here among the group, our wise Chris Nee. Your favorite signing day story that you've been involved with or most chaotic or one that just uh, – yeah. What, what's the I, one that you've been involved in covering to some extent or another that just felt the most bizarre? Alex Collins, God rest his soul, comes to mind. I can't remember. That was definitely signing day, but I think it, it was. was. I'm pretty sure he was signing the paper there. Mom and him taking off, split in different directions, just pure chaos, difference of opinion on where they want him to sign. Uh, I think his name was Marquise Jones, wide receiver. We're talking probably about 07-ish. I believe he signed with FSU and Clemson, or the story goes that way, essentially, that that happened. Ended up at Clemson, obviously. As, if I recall correctly, he was from South Carolina. That one comes to mind. Uh, Matthew Thomas, USC, which I think was technically a little bit after signing day, but still had to deal with signing day. And that one comes to mind in part because, well, I randomly ran into Matthew Thomas last week on campus. Good to see him back getting his degree. Um, those are the, the unicorn as Jeff Cameron was following yeah, yeah. him back in the day. Oh man. I, so that, that thread brought back memories talking about Matthew Thomas. I thought Matthew Thomas was going to be all world. Like if I had a hundred thousand dollars to bet that that, and he did play in the NFL, but that he was like going to be a no doubt NFL guy, I would have bet it seeing him in high school. He was unbelievable, played all directions, big body capable coming off the edge, position versatility, talented as all hell, vicious hitter. Came to college and just never got on track. And it was really, really weird. And he, he's still playing in CFL, getting his college degree. So good for him. Long term, it worked out. But, yeah, it just brought back memories. But those are a few. I mean, there's a ton. Um, signing with two schools is up there, though. I mean, going to uh, Laramie Tunzel's announcements and that one. I don't recall, again, if that was definitely on signing day. But I believe it was. It might have been immediately around it. But, uh if I recall correctly, I remember Brian Allen seemed kind of disgusted by it all, just that whole process. I mean, that was a very grimy process for him to land at Old Miss. As we've um, as we've since it, found out very publicly, uh, right? Documented and pretty it, well. it was between Old Miss and Georgia at the end. It wasn't even an FSU thing, but like Old Miss pulled out all the stops to make sure they got tons of town. Hey, he's a multi-year, high-level paid pro. So was it worth it? Sure. In the NIL era, it would seem very normal. But back then, it felt really grimy. So well, those are a few that come to mind. The whole blackmail part afterwards, getting to the NFL draft. And yeah, then, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that, that was that's from what I understand. The side. That, that was maybe a like, guy in his life who sort of stepdadish and an agent that he had gotten rid of, I guess, got was pushed, the story behind Got that? pushed out and yeah. felt like being vindictive. Yeah, that was wild. That was wild. They showed that a kid smoked weed. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was the weed as much as it was the the gas mask, like visual, right as like that caused like but, an actual legit. But you want to know, can your guy process and think outside the box and do things? And that <laughs> that's outside the box. Just saying. I was kind of proud of him for it. Uh, Junior Day, part three, uh, the trilogy was completed. This aspect of it was uh, this past weekend. Zach was in town to help out with Chris and Clay and Dane. Uh, so let, let's talk about it. Uh, I don't want to go too in-depth because there's a ton of coverage at Bills 24-7. understand our podcast audience isn't going to want to go through the weeds uh, as much as what we provide for our, our Bills 24-7 platform. But let's go for both of you guys. Uh, first off, like three big names. Uh, Zach, I will start with you. Like who are who are the three that if you had to share with someone who's not super into recruiting, who would be like a, a, a guy that was a highlight for you? Three of them, please. Yeah, well, he wasn't technically a junior day visitor, but Cam Riley, the Auburn linebacker transfer, FSU's kind of you know active in the linebacker market right now, trying to add another one after landing Sean Murphy from Alabama in the winter window. Cam Riley's not a guy that will enroll anytime soon. He'll he'll join a team after the spring. Right now, he visited FSU over the weekend. Right now, it's it's FSU and NC State uh, where he was at the week prior 
you know, no imminent decision from what it sounds like. I think he does want to make a commitment before the April window uh, opens up because he doesn't want to obviously, you know, be competing for a spot with a bunch of other linebackers that may enter the portal during that window. FSU likes him. He's six foot five, 240 pounds. So kind of a unique frame there at the linebacker position, but um, he's versatile. He, he mentioned to Chris afterwards that um, he you know, can play multiple positions uh, within FSU's defense, maybe, you know, an edge guy at, at you know, certain spots. And I think Brent and I were talking, kind of compared him to, a, you know, an Amari Gaynor role, um, you know, similar long frame guy that can rush the passer. So um, that'll be an interesting one to track over the next few months uh, as he kind of windles down his process. Two other guys I'll mention, um, both were actually Sunday visitors, so not the main day of the junior day, but Caleb Cunningham, five-star wide receiver out of Mississippi, and Jordan Young, who's a four-star safety out of North Carolina. Caleb Cunningham's an interesting one. He uh, he visited like a year ago and told Dane, I believe, afterwards that FSU is his leader and then didn't visit for basically you know another year um, or just under a year. And he was on campus for, what, 30 minutes, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it was basically a pit stop between going home from UF and going back to Mississippi. It was mom, dad, I believe, with him. Uh, you know, basically got out, used the restroom, meet with Coach Norvell, spend a little time with Coach Dugan, see Gabe Fertitta, who knows him a little bit because of proximity to the area in the history of his coaching life. And, you know, then they hit the road and got out of there. So it was, it was no photos, no tour, none of that, just – quick meet and greet basically, but they know each other. It's always good yeah. to have that face to face. And he did say in the interview afterwards that he will be returning to FSU for legacy weekend on March 23rd, um, which is you know supposed to be their, their big spring event. So we should see a lot of talent there. Another guy that mentioned possibly making it to that four-star safety, Jordan Young, like I mentioned out of North Carolina, he had never been to FSU before. He's a guy that FSU is really high on at the safety uh, position out of state. Um, he's a guy that Clemson has a crystal ball in for. He's a number three safety in the country, six foot, 184 pounds. He was also at Alabama on Saturday before making it to FSU on Sunday. You know, I think he's a guy that FSU is going to continue to work on, try to get him back in for that, that legacy weekend in March and then probably aim for an OB in June. So those are the three guys I wanted to highlight. Yeah, Legacy Weekend sounds like it's March 23rd, and speaking to a few guys, including Cunningham and Young on Sunday. Um, for me, uh, Cunningham was probably the most important person that stepped on campus, but I don't want to be repetitive. Dontrell Glover, offensive lineman, former Alabama commitment, decommitted from Alabama about three weeks ago now. He came in, walked in with Alex Atkins, spent the entire day with Alex Atkins and the O-line guys, and just got a good feel for it. He officially came to know he had an offer during the visit. I wouldn't say he got offered on the visit. It was made clear to him he had an offer. He is someone Atkins has gone to see multiple times. Mike Norvell has gone to see very important recruit from up in Georgia at Langston Hughes High School. Kid that they like a lot. Probably an interior type for them, but he's played everything in his high school career. Tackle to the inside. Um, I'm going to mention Gavin Nix, maybe not the most sexy of like high-level recruits in the sense of five-star, four-star type of thing. He's a solid four-star linebacker. Bradenton IMG Academy kid. Uh, Nix's interview to me was the best interview I've had with anybody in a hell of a long time when it's come to one of these like standard practice recruiting days. I just thought he was very in-depth, informative, had a kind of unique thought out take about why he likes FSU. Stability at FSU was a big thing to him, but the way he talked about it, I just was impressed by him. I, I like Gavin. I like his film. I like the player he is. I like the person he is. He drove that point home further with me and dealing with him on Saturday. And then uh, I would probably go with Javon Helson, um, commitment from Coco. It's just always good to get commitments back on campus. You know, he's a kid that FSU got away from Alabama after he had committed there. He backed off during the coaching change. <clears throat> FSU got him committed here. But Florida's still going to fight. Bama's still going to fight. Plenty of others are still going to fight. The more you can get somebody like that on campus, the better it is for you. FSU actually had him on campus during his birthday. He came in Friday, checked out tour of duty, stayed in the Saturday, took him most of Saturday. You know, had a good time building a relationship with JP, building a relationship with Norvell. Both of them took a helicopter down there to see him in recent weeks during the time that coaches could be on the road. It's just a matter of you got to keep putting money in the bank there and building a relationship. And, you know, to get them on campus is a good thing. Now the goal is obviously to get them back here in March or April, as is the case for most guys who bring in during junior days. Junior days is not a 
go all out, get commitment type of scenario. It's more a laying the groundwork, furthering the relationship, informing them on something they haven't previously been informed on, get them back here in March or April for a spring visit, get them back here in June or July for a camp visit, so on and so forth, continue to do that. That's how FSU operates. We've seen that over recent years, and that continued with this year in this junior day, <clears throat> three-week period that we just concluded. So one more junior day question I want for you guys, and for, for both of you, I'll start with, with Chris, though. Uh, general, general vibes from covering the three of them. Uh, kind of like the talent on campus, what guys are talking about, like how's the, the quote unquote energy uh, around these visits right now? Um, I, I felt like year over year comparing junior days, I felt like this year was far smaller and more direct. They got guys they really truly want out on campus. There was far less community service days, as we like to jokingly say, about guys you bring on who aren't really guys you're going to ever be involved with. We didn't have a lot of that this year. So it was much, much more focused, which I thought was good. Um I mean, the, the vibes are pretty good. FSU's coming off a year where they were 13-0 and 0 before, you know, half the team opted out and they got forced to play an orange ball for money and got their ass whooped. But that isn't something that feels like it's being held against guys. In fact, you had multiple guys. Caleb Cunningham, I believe, was one who kind of talked about, you know, FSU getting snubbed and it being wrong and stuff. So I feel like the group think, for lack of a better term, is pretty good. Like, that's pretty consistent. Also, Gavin Nix talked a great deal about the consistency of the staff, but in talking to guys who have been recruited by this program for a year or two now, that's something that stands out. The faces they saw when they first started getting recruited are still the same faces. Uh, Mike Norvell's energy is always brought up. Anytime you ask a kid about what stands out about Norvell without directing it in that fashion, it's almost always first words are energy, the way he goes about the daily job, especially guys that see him in like a tour of duty setting. It always stands out. They're good. Like junior days are a lot of work with very little return. I think I looked last year and I had basically eight to 10 guys end up signing with them that came to junior days versus probably 150 guys that rolled through the door last year. This year felt more like <clears throat> ballpark of a hundred. Um, so it was a little more selective. I think they'll probably hit at a pretty similar rate as far as eight to 10 type, but it's a lot of work, not a great deal of return, but it sets the table really well for what you're going to do in the spring and then into the summer. And then when you ultimately are going for the close as August is approaching for most guys. Can't hear you. Zach, anything you want to add to that? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I agree on all that. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, the talent level overall is similar to last year, but like Chris said, I think they're, they've made more of a focus of, you know, because this is like this, it takes up a lot of time to set up a junior day, you know, thinking about, you know, making name tags for all the players and their guests. Like that's a ton of, ton of work for the, the you know, recruiting and support staff. So um, I think they've made a concerted effort to kind of, you know, make these, make these visit weekends a little bit smaller, but more concentrated with guys that they actually want, which I, you know, I think is, is good for the staff and also, you know, good for, good for us, honestly, because there's, you know, less um, guys that they're never, like Chris said, ever going to recruit that we have to sift through. Um, and yeah, it, it's been good. I think, uh, I think it'll transition well into March and April where they'll, they'll try to get, you know, most, if not all of their top targets on campus. I recall last year because of the numbers being greater, there being instances where a kid would be like, <clears throat> I didn't get a ton of time with my position coach yeah. or I really didn't get face-to-face -face time with Norvell. I didn't feel like that this year. I felt like consistently it was so smaller group batches over three weekends that guys really did get time face-to-face -face time with their position coaches or coordinator on that side of all. And in the cases where guys should meet with Norvell, they did meet with Norvell and they usually had lengthier discussions. It wasn't in passing. So I think FSU's done a good job of honing in on it. Some of that comes with winning. You don't have to, you know, spread yourself as wide and recruit top to bottom because you don't know who and what you might be in the next year when you feel pretty confident you're going to replicate success from one year to the next. Are you guys ready for like a quiet February and March in terms of commitments and then a freak out leading up through June? Are we going to I, don't, I don't believe in quiet existing around this program anymore. I, I think I've just come to the hard truth. I mean, now we got to be legal experts in addition to football and recruiting and other sport experts. So like, I just don't believe in like quietness. I don't think that exists. Something's always going to happen. Chris, you actually I mean, hell, last, last week we had a commitment that wasn't a commitment. So, you know, like we've already checked that box off and it's real early in 2024. So Keep the ball rolling. Let's see what's next. <laughs> All right. Commercial break. Uh, Chris hinted and teased a little bit at 
some legal discussion. We'll put on our, our legal caps when we return. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to On the Bench. Going to round out this episode with a little buyer, Sinone. Some talk about transfers, newcomer availability that's been ongoing. Uh, but first, let's let's talk about FSU and its ongoing lawsuit with against the ACC and, and vice versa, the ACC's lawsuit against Florida State. Uh, last week, well, starting back a few weeks ago, the ACC filed an amended suit in North Carolina, basically requesting for a permanent injunction barring FSU from participating in the management of legal affairs while it, quote unquote, has a direct and material conflict of interest, unquote. Can you guys tell I'm reading? Uh, this is not my not my wheelhouse. With the ACC's uh, pur- purposes and objective, it also asks for a permanent injunction barring the Seminoles from disclosing confidential information about the TV agreement that is coming from the Associated Press. Uh, the Atlantic Coast Conference accused Florida State of breach of contract. FSU struck back last week. And Chris, I love doing these because we automatically have to start sifting through dozens of pages of, of legalese and not either of us. Uh, yeah, you, yours was like 50. Mine, this one that you're about to talk about, was roughly 20. Yeah, it's good times. Yeah, so FSU struck back last week. Uh, and it basically said uh, the ACC accused the ACC of self-dealing and names were named. John Swafford, former ACC commissioner. Chad Swafford, his son. John Skipper, former ESPN president, Raycom Sports. So they, they beefed it up to add names. And then additionally, uh, they filed an amended suit in North Carolina. It's opposition to the ACC's. Oh, it's not an amended suit. This was an opposition to the ACC's motion uh, to basically what they accused Florida State of in their North Carolina court. So a lot of stuff to talk about. I think the most substantial was FSU's counterpunch, what it filed in its amended uh, Florida lawsuit. And that was naming names, right? You basically accused your partner, your your financial partner, your someone who you've, you've said is supposed to have the best interest of teams in the league to represent of nepotism. And basically, yeah, they, yeah go ahead. They took the Raycom dealings and put them out there. I mean, mm-hmm. that's one of those things that's been talked about since the day that deal was struck, that John Swafford did it to enable his son to have a more significant job and strengthen the hold of what his son was doing and you know, fast forward to present day, February 6th of 2024, and it's one of those things that is still a crutch that's severely enabling or disabling the ACC from being financially competitive to other conferences like the big in the SEC. I was trying to look up the one that I wrote. I forget the specific line, but basically where they're like, you can't call something a secret just because you were stupid for doing it was probably my favorite thing written in any of the legal briefs that we've had to read recently. I'm going, I'm trying to find it now. I mean, there, there have been some, there have been some doozies there, and Florida State has been. Uh, credit to who's ever crafting these more poetic, I guess, in some of the way they're billable hours, baby, get that <laughs> money. The, the next step in all of this is the decision or however it's going to play out of where we'll be tried. We'll be tried in Florida. We'll be tried in North Carolina. We'll both essentially say it can be tried there. You know, I'm not enough of a legal expert to tell you for sure that both can actually say yes. I don't know if one overrules the other vice versa. I think essentially both can say yes. And then that has to get legally sorted out. Who would legally um, sort it out? I like a, like a third state's can jump in and be like, no, no, I don't think you go with some kind of arbitration. I think essentially it's it's heard on each end and then a decision is reached mutually. Um, so, but yeah, so, it, it's just, I mean, it, the thing I've enjoyed is that we're at the point where the gloves are off and we're throwing bare knuckle punches, and it's going to be anything and everything that's ever been mentioned, accused of, or believed to have happened that caused the legal and financial situations that we're currently in are going to be public view. And it's clear as day the ACC slash ESPN to a degree are, you know, strongly against the idea of legal documents being put out there about agreements or, you know, agreements that are very much made on, you know, very thin sheets of paper versus FSU, who's just like, well, you know, you basically promise us financial competency that we're going to be able to be confident that we'd be able to compete at the highest level in the time of this TV contract. And clearly that is not what's going on. And this is also why you entered into such deals, which is the, you know, doing things for yourself, which was 
very so, much put out there in public uh, view. Chris, FSU also it, it, to the to your last point, like FSU also told or accused the ACC in the most recent one, uh, what they filed in opposition of of North uh, ACC's motion in North Carolina court was like, hey, you guys sued us first, so like documents that we use, you're saying that we can't put out there. Like this was you guys who did this first, which was the whole like the most bizarre thing about all this that I still don't understand and probably need to from, talk to somebody. From what I always have understood and talking to some people that deal with matters of these sorts, corporate law and such, is the reason North Car- they filed in North Carolina first is their goal is ultimately get it in North Carolina. But how can you sue someone for, do, for doing something that they have not done yet? Buddy, if I could answer that question, I wouldn't be on this podcast. I'd be I'd be raking in money, banking it. But from what I understand, that is essentially the we were the first to the table is the argument to try to get it tried in North Carolina, because obviously to believe is North Carolina is going to be more favorable for the ACC versus Mm -hmm. Leon County Court would be more favorable to Florida State. Meanwhile, North Carolina, like UNC, is starting to have some reservations about the ACC future. Whoa, yeah, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, which FSU mentioned that, by the way, in their initial complaint. Is that so? It's funny, like they knew that this was going to, or they anticipated this being another evolution. Was UNC getting involved? And they I mentioned that the, that it, that UNC's athletic director was it Bubba Bubba Cunningham? Yeah, Bubba Bubba we Cunningham. Got Bubba's. We got Chad's. Man, this is North Carolina. Just drew the, the barking did not come from Bubba, who criticized FSU for barking. It came from what their chancellor and board of trustees. Yes, but as we've seen, like sometimes the AD throws the grenade and then steps back and lets the people higher up the. The totem pole is it higher up the totem pole or lower the to- higher higher so when we were trending towards the direction of all of this becoming a legal matter before either the acc or fsu officially filed suit fsu board of trustees to be clear um i used to be a firm believer that there would be multiple parties jumping in together specifically fsu and clemson with the belief that maybe unc and a virginia as well those have always kind of been the rumored four that have been moved is going to be made as probably those four the fact that FSU jumped into the pool by itself and got the party started, I don't really have a desire at this point for anybody else to jump in with FSU. I do like that it's showing weakness within the league and ultimately what's coming, which is a future similar to the Pac-12 that's now called the Pac-2. But I don't necessarily need them to be dancing partners. At, at this point, FSU is by themselves, and they are perfectly comfortable being by themselves. There's a reason the messaging about private equity has been put out there. There's a reason why FSU, every time there's a legal step, they're ready for the next legal step. They are prepared for this fight. They were ready for this fight. They had prepared for this fight for a long, long time before it actually got to the point where they were fighting. Now that they're in the fight, they're not going to cower and back down. They're not going to slow their roll with regards to this. FSU is ready to play the long game. Do I think the ACC or FSU really wants to? Probably not. From a financial standpoint, from a muddy in the water standpoint, from the ultimate outcome standpoint, neither party probably truly wants to play the long game. But FSU is willing to, and they're willing to do it by themselves. So at this point, I don't have a necessity that Clemson, who's been very cowardly about this, or North Carolina, who accused FSU of barking and is now doing the same, or Virginia, who might just be a tag along like a Girl Scout cookie, I don't have a need for them to necessarily jump in with FSU. But like if they want to, it's going to make it more messy, more dirty, and create a multi-front issue for the ACC. And I'm all for that. So like I'm good with it either way. But I don't need them to. Like it's not one of these things where I – going into it, I believe it would be better for FSU if they had people standing shoulder to shoulder with them. Now that they're in it by themselves and it's clear as day the way they're willing to go about fighting this, I don't think it's a necessity. It's like in the office when Andy had – uh, the symposium and people come to the office to get them to buy in a, a packaging plan. And then all of a sudden Stanley and Phyllis and everyone else wanted in when they realized he was going to close and that there was actually some money to be gained. It's just like that. What's your favorite, Zach, what's your favorite Girl Scout cookie since Chris is, is bringing up Tagalongs? It's got to be Thin Mint, right? There's no way it's not. Yeah, I love Thin Mint, but the, what are the other ones called? Samoas or whatever? I don't I like know. Those. I'm not going to touch that one. They're the ones that are like have caramel on it. Those ones are fire. But I do like thin mints a lot. Chilled thin mints. Put them in the freezer. All righty. Uh, last thing on that. There's no. There's. We've passed the point of like no return. Like there's no going back from this. FSU yeah. will not be in the ACC in in several years. I don't know what the, that's going to look like financially, but it's not happening at this point. The right? jurisdiction is the next thing that's probably going to truly happen. I, there may be other filings, you know, amendments to filings and things of that sort. But in general, the next big step in this feels like jurisdiction. 
Um, I am very interested to see if the two parties come to the table and start chatting about exit and stuff, or if we're just going to progress to truly a legal battle. I think FSU is comfortable with either. I think it more rests on the ACC, but FSU is not going to relent on wanting documents to be dumped at a high level. And it's clear as day the ACC has no interest in that being done. And FSU is going to continue to like, I wonder how many bullets FSU has left to fire because that the one last week with, with bringing up the nepotism and, and whatnot was like, that's uh, you're now, you're now playing in the mud a little bit with that. And, and that's FSU showing like they will continue to, to fight and scrap and claw to get out of this. So I wonder like what else is left if, if these kind of things continue to come up. Uh, I also wonder if the ACC, if it really even matters, if there's going to like, no matter what, if Florida state leaves, whether it's through a lawsuit or it's through just negotiations and, and a buyout, like the ACC is done. Yeah, I mean, I think that's yeah. the path it's going down well, at this point. So you're I, gonna, I don't want to get completely ahead of ourselves because we thought the Big Twelve was going to die, and somehow they've become the resurgent cool hippie of the bunch. Of yeah, man. Conferences. Well, they got UCF, which is a you know just an upward trending brand. But like, they, Colorado they pulled from. it off where they could survive. But there is the outcome also where you just become the Pac-12, aka the Pac-2. Like, yeah, I definitely think that exists. I, I'll put it this way: I'm not confident that ACC leadership right now knows what the hell it's going to do if the meteor actually hits Earth. Well, it's like Cal Stanford, SMU. Like, oh, One out of three is not bad. I got to take a call real quick, gentlemen. You want to move to Bayer Sinone? I got the prompts I sent to no, you. No, just wait. Take the call. All right. They're going to be here in 10 minutes. Uh, so lightning, lightning round, Bayer Sinone, brought to you by the Turner Group. Thank you, Becky. Lightning round, fire, rapid Byers Sinone coming up here. We're gonna have to skip some things apart because uh I'm rambling right now. I have I have a new mattress coming. The sleep number gone. It's dead. It's dead to me. We got a new one coming and they're gonna be here. Sleep like numbers the ACC, new mattress, big ten. By or Sinone. And Byers Sinone is brought to you by the Turner Group and Becky. Colin, Amy, Becky, if you're looking to buy or sell a home in the state of Florida, no place better than the Turner Group to get started on that process. First one. Knowles, 198593, very original, by Orson Own. Walk with Papooches, Edge Recruiting, High School Portal. Uh, that's it. Like, are we walking with Papooches at this point? I'm buying. I uh, I tried to get Javion to actually say walk with Papooches in the interview, but he didn't. But mm. I, I was trying. I made an effort. Um, I'm buying the portal. I'm Sinoning High School for now, but it's on the right track. Uh, and, and then the originator of Walk with Papooches, uh, Walk with Papooches, Byer Sinone, Coach Papooches is in on the Walk with Papooches. 100% buy. If you look at his, yeah. uh, if you look at his tweet, I think that was uh, purposeful. After the after the Amari Williams announcement, he tweeted the uh, Peaky Blinders uh, walking. If of all, yeah, they got all the all the guys walking behind him. So yeah, um, I'm I'm buying it. I uh, I may have dropped a reference or two to it directly to him on Saturday, and he was he was game for it. Okay. All right. We said that's the kind of reporting that we provide here at Knowles 24 7. We're Castro Tycho. I will not struggle with this one day. Bio Sinone, it's a prove it year for Atkins. Uh, I'm going to throw Sinone here. Like, there are con- some concerns with recruiting and development of some of the younger players, right? But like, the offensive line has more or less gotten better year over year. And granted, it's a lower place to start from. But yeah. the idea that someone who's done nothing but improve the position group every season all of a sudden is in a prove it year. I I think that's a step too far. So yeah. Then, also, he he has a show clause, so I mean, I don't know if he'd go anywhere, but um, yeah, also known. I I do think that the development of high school players along the offensive line needs to get a little bit better, right? Because we've seen you know a few guys make the jump into the starting lineup, um, Maurice Smith and Robert Scott, but like some of those guys that came in, you know, 2021, 2022, and even 2023, like it's time, right? Like we, we should see some of those guys crack the lineup. Um, and we've seen some of them already transfer out like a Quayshawn Sapp or Daughtry Richardson, but guys like Jalen early, Julian Armella, Lucas Simmons is in year two. Obviously he had a, a period of time where he was not practicing for a while. So that could develop delay his development. Um, but do think that, it's important for some of those guys to, uh, to make it into that lineup, but not also known on it being a prove it year. Yeah. Also known on it being a little harsh. Um, I will buy though that. Yes, it is important at some point to start seeing returns on the high school recruiting, 
But I think it's also worth remembering at a position that it's a multi-year situation. You're, you're very rarely ever going to get a freshman or retro freshman alignment to give you a whole lot. It's usually year three to year four where it matters. But I would like to see a guy like a Jalen Early or Julian Armella specifically break through. And I do think Jalen Early is probably a guy that's most on the verge of doing that. Flounder Pounder. It's a hell of a name. Byers to know DJU will be a more quote-unquote willing running quarterback, uh, which benefits the run game. So that's, a, I think, compared to, to Jordan Travis. Um, go ahead, Zach. Yeah, bye. I mean, if you're saying, if you're putting willing, then I, I do think it's a buy. Um, you know, better, I, I don't, you know, I wouldn't, I would say that because obviously we know that Jordan was special in that department, but later in his career, he was not willing. So, yes, I do think that DJU is more, is a guy that, is going to be more durable than Jordan Travis, obviously with his size, six foot five, 260 pounds, right? Like he's going to be able to run more and sustain hits um, when, when compared to, to Jordan. But, um, but yeah, I think I, I do think he's going to be more willing um, and that's going to help FSU's run game. I'll buy because I think the offense has gone necessitated a little bit more. Um, I, I think obviously similar to what Zach said, that the style is going to be different. I mean, Jordan was a little bit more Houdini, and I think DJ is just going to be a little more dump truck. Do you want to do you want a Porsche or a tank to get from point A to point B? I think with Jordan last year, one thing I will push back on is the, the idea of willing. Like, yeah, there were times where he wouldn't take off and scramble because they were trying to get the passing game going to the efficiency they wanted. But like, part of that was by design. Like, they did not want Jordan running a ton. Yeah. Which means he wasn't willing to run because no, that's not, not no, that's not what that means. <laughs> Mediate, Chris. Parse now, out. There, no. were times, there were times where he did not run, Cor- and it was a correct. detriment to FSU's offense. Correct. I think that was by that design. Was I think the goal so by design. They wanted to be able to year. unleash him against Florida the ACC championship game and all that, and that got taken away from them. Like I think that they were trying to. Keep body blows off of him right. as long as possible is my point. I would not describe him as a willing runner in FSU's offense in 2023. Okay, fine. <laughs> Whether that's by design or not. NYC 092, Mario can't come up with new lies on the recruiting trail and is running out of time if he doesn't win eight games this season. Uh, that schedule that. is soft as hell. I don't know about the lies part. I don't want to get into that. Uh, 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 new year, but, new you. Uh, I don't know if he's lying. I know that he pressures the shit out of people down there, both in media and like as unrelenting as a recruiter, which could be a good thing, but I don't know that he's lying. That's not, that's not responsible for me to say uh, what I, what I do think is, yeah, the pressure would, I, I buy that there is a ramp up of, of pressure if they don't win eight games with that soft schedule and with Cam Ward and you, and you now have a quarterback and um, yeah, you got, you got to win at some level and show legitimate growth again uh, than what you had more so than what you had last year. Yeah, I'm buying between the investment in high school and portal recruiting for them and bring a guy like Cam Ward in, who I'm sure they paid a pretty penny for because of the timing. It's time is now for them to try to get to double digit wins. And I think if they fail to get there, that I don't think it's a hot seat situation where he immediately gets fired. But I think it's one of those situations where the tide very much turns with regards to what is Mario ultimately going to be as Miami's head coach. I absolutely agree with with Chris. I I got three more minutes going here. Let's see. Uh, B. Dodson, this is an interesting prompt. Uh, the pre-spring 2024 team will beat the pre-spring 2022 team on a neutral site. In the sense of what I think of the two teams, yeah, I'd I, I buy that. Um, <laughs> what 2022 became, I don't know about that. Uh, see, that's my yeah, pre-spring talking about version pre-spring of 2022 roster? was mm-hmm. lesser than what it ultimately became when I knew it would to yeah. be as we watched the year play out. For sure. Yeah, that's an interesting timeline of where you're evaluating guys. But are we talking pre-spring, Zach? Are we talking about pre-spring rosters and, or pre-spring like just rosters, expected production, uh, what we think ultimately yeah, expectation. would be? Okay, all right. Zach's trying it, to understand what I'm asking. Was it pre-spring 2022 when they had like five scholarship receivers or something? Because <laughs> like uh, they had they had like a ton of guys injured during that time, I believe. What was the spring Chris was disgusted? Was that 2021? Yeah, uh, was that Jordan? was when Deckerhoff did the spring game when he coached in the spring. Because game you gave Deckerhoff a warning. I, I I was like, good luck, good sir. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. That that was in 22. 22 my, wasn't how, that bad. my how far they've they've come. Yeah. It's interesting. I think that's kind of like nine, ten wins is kind of your target. So I think it would be an interesting battle. I think this team has more raw talent to work with. Uh, how quickly you're able to get them all up to speed 
we'll see. Yeah. Bye. So real quick on that, Bill Connolly had the article yesterday about returning production. I know those numbers are skewed this day and age because of portal and such, but I, it had me thinking of like Johnny Wilson was in the prism of did not bring much production to the new team he came to. And then he went and became arguably the best receiver on that team that year. Like, so those, those things are so tough to call this day and age because, you know, the influx of production production for guys. We lost Brendan. Um, yeah, the, man, the man's all about mattress. I'll move on to the next one. Let me find the Byersonone prompt. I've got him here. So I'll do the link to the future one that he skipped. Byersonone presented by the Turner Group. Clay Fink will have a staff badge by the time spring football starts. I'll buy that. I'll actually I'll, I'll text somebody today to try to get that done today. Our That's boy cool. Clay deserves it. The man of many, many spreadsheets. Yeah. I, so I saw Zach's mother on uh, Saturday evening. Good to always see her. She asked Zach if he was great with sheets, and I think Zach's response wasn't, but it should have been, I'm good, but I'm not Clay Fink good. <laughs> True. Yeah, he's uh, he's the master of that. Um, I got this one. Fire Sinone, sponsored by the Turner Group. There will be less linebacker recruiting rants from Zach during the 2025 cycle. Um, we probably will still get at least one good one, but there'll be less. So I'll buy that, that there'll be less, but we're still going to get it out. There. The There's going to be some look, point. Yeah. I mean, the board be, is looking nice, but I they do have to 20, land them. 28 offers now, I think I saw yeah. yesterday. Really? I was looking at it. Yeah, I think it's yeah. in that ballpark. It's okay. It's a lot of numbers. Yeah. Um, but now. there'll be that point where like TJ Alford goes somewhere and Ty Jackson commits elsewhere out of blue and another one that we like and we value commits out of blue and Zach might just have enough of it. And that's his thing like that. Yeah. Some people get stuck on certain things and they're not allowed to come off. It, and that might be it for Zach, but I, I mean, yeah. it does feel like they're recruiting that position in a much better way. And the current returns of getting guys on campus and recruiting them, Tavion Wallace, for example, a couple weeks ago, feels much better than it did 12 months ago. Yeah. Like, well, for instance, like the guy like Jaden per lot or whatever, that's committed to Georgia. He put out like a, statement um saying oh you know i dropped florida state i think it was a mutual parting of ways but like you know, i didn't freak out over that maybe that's a maybe that's a little uh have you cared about Jaden for since december 20th when probably, kj Bolden yeah. went to georgia i probably even before that no but yeah it was it was trending weirdly trending like you know away from fsu ever since i mean he literally dude the kid literally like was telling people around him that he was flipping to FSU um, and like left Georgia's like signy group chat or commit group chat. So like, yeah, that wasn't a, when, when those crystal balls came in, that wasn't a, a prediction. That was a, um, you know, pretty guaranteed thing, but obviously that did not happen. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a wild one. Um, that, that one always felt like it was directly connected to KJ. Yeah, it did. Um, Cause he, I mean, he was interested separately in FSU and had visited multiple times, but, when KJ was turning to Florida State over the summer, he had gotten wind of that, and I think he kind of wanted to, you know, ride the coattails of that commitment, um, you know. But Georgia put a stop to that uh, pretty quickly once once they figured out that that was going on. So I, I hate the term clickbait, and I don't like using it towards others in our industry, especially someone who we just worked with who we like. That felt like clickbait to me yesterday. I mean, whatever, like. I, I just I saw that and I saw people talking about it on the side. And I'm like, it's 2024. We I don't think we have literally spoken about this young man since the calendar changed to 2024. Yeah. So cool. He put out that quote, but like that's like that's like moving eight states away and saying I'm not coming home. Like no shit. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's all good. Um, let me look. Byersonone by Noel Duke. Brought to you by the Turner Group. Norvell being in contention contention for the Bama job counteracted FSU being snubbed for playoffs in regards to recruiting? I, it just changed narratives. I mean, that's that's what half of this job seems to be this day and age. Yeah. What are we going to talk about way too much for a short period of time? And obviously from December 3rd on, the snub was prevalent, and it still permeates. I mean, Kirk is still taking bullets from the FSU fan base here. But, yeah, the the Norvell saying, no, I'm staying at FSU when the Alabama job was open and the – reports of an offer being made to him were made it does change and it just shows you know and i reference this with like gavin nix and stuff the consistency of the staff in tallahassee has been continuous and i think that's beneficial to fsu recruiting 
and the Norvell saying no, or however you want to describe it, towards the Alabama gig is the cherry on top of that current cupcake. Yeah, I'm going to synone it being like a complete counter to it because that was just such a monumental move, um, you know, leaving FSU out. And it did impact FSU's recruiting efforts, especially in the 24 cycle. I don't know that it's going to, you know, vastly impact 2025, right? Like, I, I think we, we, you know, don't see much mention of it when we're talking to recruits. Some guys mention it. Like, I think, I mean, it, it might almost seems like a positive impact. Solomon Thomas said when he heard that FSU was left out of the playoffs, he committed to FSU because he, he felt he felt something like in himself that he was like you know, pissed off about that. Um, yeah. And he's like, man, I, I feel this way about a school. I might as well commit there. So there, uh, there was a degree of me that worried when FSU got snubbed that FSU was going to be viewed as a they're outside the P2. You know, yeah. They can't compete because they're not and big or SEC. And that might be a thing for certain kids, right? But it hasn't hasn't shown itself a whole lot in yeah. us talking to guys. True. Yeah, de- definitely. Um, finally, Big Earn, Byersonone, Turner Group, Viatina, and Becky. Becky! FSU adds some real recruiting firepower to the off-field staff this offseason. I... I'll known it. I don't think yeah. it's going to change drastically. I think, you know, stock still filled the position left by John Garrett's departure to a degree. Yeah. And Rick's a good addition because he's a veteran coach who has some skin in the game when it comes to Florida state, smart guy who's done about every job under the sun. That's a positive for you. I don't, I don't think FSU is about to like revolutionize their staff. So I guess I'm synonymous that. Yeah, I think, and you know, this is kind of the, the season for, for off off field additions from what I've been told. And I think, you know, they'll probably make a few more hires in that department, but a lot of the hires uh, that they made, because, you know, obviously, like you said, John Garrett left for Duke, some of the off field staffers followed him to Duke um, to be in, you know, better positions there. FSU promoted from within. Um, They had, you know, some student assistants and grad assistants that they elevated to bigger roles within their, their off field operation. So I think we do see, a few more additions to the off-field staff. But like you said, Chris, I don't think they're about to revolutionize it and make it some crazy recruiting operation with, uh, you know, a few. There's, o- there's only so much you can do in an off-field yeah. role, right? Like, I think we we understand that. And, and you know, if you're going to really change, how, you know, how you recruit, it's going to come down to the people that are uh, on field and, and going out to, you know, the ones that are able to go out and see kids and conduct in-home visits and all that. So, yeah, I, I think it's less about splash and more about efficiency and yeah. having every job covered in the correct manner. They yeah. have some people within that department who have done a phenomenal job. I think Maddie, for example, who does a lot on-campus recruiting stuff, watching her operate during a junior day, you know, making sure all the trains are on time, things are going the right way, people are communicating, all that, it's impressive. And I think the idea is just to continue to add people of that sort, of that cloth, who can do those jobs at a high level and make sure it operates really well. I think that that's ultimately, it's a manpower thing as much as anything. As you're having 25 to 50 kids on campus in a four to six hour segment with 10 on-field coaches who have to meet with, you know, half a dozen to eight to 10 kids at a time during those visits. It's all about making sure that this kid is where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. This kid is, you know, with that coach because that coach is now free, so on and so forth. I think it's more about that kind of stuff than necessarily going and getting guys who suddenly make this massive splash in recruiting. I do think, to Mike Norvell's credit and guys that work with him within that department, they're always looking for what can we do better and how can we do it better. So if there's something there, they might do that, go a different direction, but I haven't heard anything specific regarding that. Yeah, I got you. Um, yeah, like, for instance, with the John Garrett hire, like the John Garrett moving on to Duke and them hiring Rick Stock. So, like, I think that's an upgrade. Uh, personally, like I, I do think that Stockdale is going to provide a really good, you know, evaluation tool for for FSU this upcoming year. Like I, I think it's important for because FSU relies heavily on on you know that role, and then the uh, he's the offensive guy now, and then the defensive role is Justin Kraus, who's been with Norvell for a long time, was at at you know with him at Memphis, um, and they rely on those two positions heavily. To, to conduct evaluations for their high school recruiting and transfer portal. So um, very important positions. And, and I do think that, you know, stock sales experience is going to provide um, a great deal of information and, and correct evaluations for FSU on the offensive side of the football. 
the more smart people you can have in the room, the better off you are. Absolutely. Um, I think that's it. That's all the buyer Sinones. So for Zach Blossy and Chris Nee and Brendan Sinone, that was on the bench. Appreciate you guys listening. Stay tuned to No Swing 4-7. We're going to have a ton of content. Peace out. Yeah, one last thing. 60% off. I think it's still running right now. Might run through tomorrow, end of signing day. So through end of Wednesday. You missed out on 75% off yesterday, but 60% off annual is still a very good deal. If you yep. need any guidance with that, reach out to any of us. All right. Bye, peeps. Bye. Bye.